electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach and educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What do we do after today's absolutely Brutal meltdown. Dow went from up 462 to down 313. S&P ultimately losing 1.1%. Sell, sell, sell. And the Nasdaq dropping 1.3%. The house of pain. Just in the last hour of trading, it was so horrible. Do you know that the VIX index, that fear index, it jumped from 23 to nearly 26. We were gripped by something, anything. We don't even know. Something working in uh, Ukraine, China, Washington, Wall Street. Or Hollywood, even. But when you think about Netflix's miserable forecast that sent the N in Fang down almost 20% after the bell. But you know what? We got to step back for a second because you know how often these sell offs lead to the opposite happening? Let's talk about two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, I talked about a checklist I used to identify when the market was bottoming. See, at the time, the market had been going down. I didn't see a bottom because I was being dispassionate about things I looked for. I said there could be more pain to come. We didn't have enough checks. The market was still too high to me. It was too perilous. Didn't want to put any money to work from a charitable trust. Still taking money out. Now, though, especially after the total despair of the last hour today, I'm actually feeling a little more confident. This is what a bottom could look like. It's murky down there. Let me walk you through the same dispassionate checklist from two weeks ago, because I know it's difficult to look through the negativity and see something, anything constructive. But we must do that together. And that brings me to item one of my checklist. Before the market can bottom, we need to see a sickening level of negativity. Looking at the tape should make you want to, yes, puke. And this market certainly felt vomit-inducing as we went into the close. Believe me, the run to the exits was visceral. It was excruciating. Even before then, the American Association of Individual Investors weekly survey had some incredibly weak numbers. Bulls had fallen from 25 to 21 percent. That's that's shattering. Bears had risen from 38 to just under 47. This is an astounding level of negativity. One of the few times we've ever seen it. So you know what? We're checking that box. Okay. now. 
Emphatically, even as that scary decline in the stock of Netflix was at the end of, after tonight, there'll be more fright tomorrow. Believe me, that carries over. Second, are we oversold? Now, you know I watch that proprietary S&P oscillator like a hawk, right? That's what I use to measure it. I need something again. Dispassionate. Keep thinking that word. Now, I did an oscillator explainer this morning for the investing club in my new morning meeting, 10, 20 a.m. video, which people are telling me is important as what I'm doing in any other point in my life. So I need you to go to this 10, 20 video only for club members. I talked about how the market was barely oversold two weeks ago, and so therefore it was too early. This time, though, the oscillator has plummeted. Now, it's fallen from plus seven, where everybody's too bullish. It's an extraordinary positive number. You have to do selling all the way to minus four. But it is not yet deep enough to prevent another down day. It's getting there. Minus five is the level you need to see where you have to hold your nose and buy. I'd say we're here, okay? Getting there. We have to go to minus five. And right now, tonight, we're minus four. Third, have the analysts thrown in the towel? Two weeks ago, we had almost no towel losses. If anything, they dug in their heels. Today, though, they threw in towels all over the place. If you walk by Wall Street, you're probably hippo one. Case in point, AMD. This semiconductor stock, like almost all the semis, has been beaten to a pulp, falling from the 160 to 121 today. Our analysts downgraded it. Hey, I get it. Says business could slow. Sure. Wait a second, though. I mean, now we throw the towel. I don't know. Stock lost another five bucks, like I said it would do. Five percent. I said it would do that in, the, in Squawk of the Street. I said, look, it's vulnerable. Vulnerable. But at what point? Is it down 60 points from its high? Tempting. Okay. Then there's Ford. Like AMD, we saw some Ford, uh, sold some Ford for the investment club at much higher levels. Hey, we're not idiots. This morning, an analyst raises his earnings estimates for Ford. So far, so good, right? But then downgrades the stock from buy to hold. Even as it had fallen from 25 to 22. Because he thinks it's too early to start saying good things. I think you're going to get a good opportunity in the teens. Yesterday, an analyst downgraded Cisco, saying that its business is cool despite the increase in orders. That's a measure of the future. These are all signs of a bottom. Tal throws. Today, CNBC.com broke this terrific story about how Peloton's halting production of treadmills and bikes, demanding waning. Despite the inexorable decline in the stock, there's still plenty of buys on the street. That means we're going to get more towels thrown tomorrow. Have the analysts thrown the towel? We're going to do this, okay? Some have, some haven't. Four, are the big guns getting clobbered? Holy cow. David Faber, my partner, squawking the street. He reported that while Kathy Wood remains the poster child of poor performance, there are now plenty of big-time hedge funds that got caught the wrong way. Big funds, billions of dollars, bunch of down double-digit guys. That's shocking to me. We're just beginning of the year. We're no longer just watching Wood's ARC funds. Her misery has a lot of company. Are the big guns getting clobbered? Yes. Five, is there actual systemic risk? This one's more of a safety question because systemic risk means you can't trust the bottom like the late 2008 period. What we have are normal risks, rising long-term interest rates that have come up rapidly in the last couple of weeks. The backdrop has certainly gotten worse without, without threatening the entire economy, which is what we need to see before the pain can stop. So I'm going to tell you, events, no, we're good on that one. All right, we're good. So we're uh, three, you know, we're now three out of five. Okay, six. Are the public markets closed off to the New Deal? We've seen a couple of IPOs get pulled. That's very good news. I think a more important way to measure this is to look at the CNBC post SPAC index. The post SPAC index. Oh, my God, it's doing so badly. I mean, look at this. I mean, uh, and also I like to look at the recent IPOs. They're bad, too. This index down more than 20% year to date and down an unbelievable 50%, 57% over the last 12 months. 
These outfits that came public by merging with special purpose acquisition companies have seen their stocks get slaughtered. They're still being shellacked despite the uptick in earnings. I think these awful percentages will shut the door to all but the most brain dead of investors because it's looked like you're tossing your money into a bonfire. If we get fewer IPOs and fewer SPAC deals, that means there'll be less new supply coming in. And at the end of the day, all markets are about supply and demand, including the stock market. So, you know what? When I look at something like this and how the deals seem to be walking away, I am tempted to check the box, which says that we are running out of the public markets being open to junk, that you'd rather put money in a bonfire. Seven, can good earnings save us? When I did this checklist two weeks ago, the answer was no. Uh, Good ones did did nothing. Now we're starting to see the likes of United Health, Procter & Gamble, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo have real breakdowns, breakouts on good numbers. They will be our new leaders when the selling ends. But then the forecast for Netflix and Coatings Maker PPG were disappointing. So here we go again. Too early. Okay. One and two. One and two. But not in that last hour. How about eight? Is sideline money ready to come in? Can't tell this one. I'm seeing money still streaming out. Despite the gigantic increase in bond yields, at least on a percentage basis, you still aren't getting much of a return from treasuries. While rates are a lot higher than where they've been, they're still very low on a historical basis. So I think money will come back, flow into the stock market if we stabilize for the last couple of days. But the last hour today is going to frighten people. No box check whatsoever. As a matter of fact, this one went the wrong way. Okay, now. Nine, could anything change the principal negative, which is the case is, is the Fed getting ready to put the brakes on the economy and tamp down inflation? Tough call. We've had some negative sentiment numbers, a weaker jobless claims figure this very morning, a not-so-hot housing sales number. Against that, though, many of the commodities, especially oil, have moved up substantially. The one big positive, what happens if Jay Powell, by just talking about positive rate hikes, has managed to push long-term rates high enough to slow a bunch of businesses? Right. Just make them go slower. Stranger things have happened. Could anything change the principal negative? We're going to give that one a yes. Finally, is the government outside of the Fed at a hindrance or a help? From Wall Street's perspective, there are a few things better than a gridlock Congress that can't accomplish anything, which is exactly what we're getting. you got a box check there. Here's the bottom line. Was today significant? Considering that we've now got many boxes checked. Well, it means that something that we didn't have two weeks ago, we now have. But that vicious late days decline, that inspired a lot of terror. So therefore, the market, while being close to the decline, still has some work to do. Michael in Florida. Michael. Hey, Jim. Big booty out of you from Western Florida. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. My question is in regards to Norwegian Cruise Line. And your past interviews with the president of Norwegian Cruise Line, Frank Del Rio, he spoke with you about his positive outlook for Norwegian Cruise Line by the end of 2022 with their record bookings. But now with the Fed raising rates, the inflation rate at all-time high, and just recently some cruises are now being canceled due to COVID and Omicron, my question is this. Based on today's close at 2103, would you consider Norwegian Cruise Line a buy right here, or would you recommend sitting on the sidelines to see if it retakes? I think the most for people who bottom? can tolerate a level of risk, absolutely, Michael. It's just that when they froze it, you know, when you read that, the, that Omicron has pretty much overwhelmed the industry again, I think you can get Norwegian Cruise a little bit lower. I really do. All right. Now, we are starting to get evidence of the bottom. I think we're very close to it. We just have a few more boxes to check and we will be there. And it might happen tomorrow. I'll be talking about, of course, nine and then in my 1020 morning meeting for subscribers only of the investing club all mad tonight the supply chain crisis continues to wreak havoc across a host of industries and as the kinks get worked out 
Could now be the time to make money off of it? I'm going to turn to a read that's doing it. Getting a real read on the space with CEO of Prologis. That earnings season is off to the races. I'm taking a closer look at the first report to financials, giving you my take. And after selling off today on a good quarter, could today's post-earnings reaction from First Horizon prove that the stock just came in too hot, like a lot of others did? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Everybody knows we've now got a supply chain crisis, but for some companies, it's a supply chain opportunity. Companies like Prologis, the Kramer Fave Logistics Real Estate Investment Trust that owns warehouses and fulfillment centers all over the world, that it then leases to companies, big companies like Amazon, FedEx, UPS, and the like. After rallying 70% last year, Prologis has sold off this month, in part because of the rotation out of high multiple stocks and in part because of simple profit taking. I think it's a good opportunity to buy. When Prologis reported yesterday morning, they gave you a nice top and bottom line beat with excellent full-year guidance. Management's forecasting a 6 to 7% increase in same-store net operating income, that's the, the metric you need, with more than $5 per share of core funds from operations. When Wall Street was only looking for $4.66 a share, that's a tremendous forecast, yet the stock's only up a few bucks. So let's take a closer look with Hamid Mogadam. 
And Hamid is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Prologis. He's been on a couple, many times, and he has really got a bead on what's going on right in this country. Mr. Mogadam, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to talk, be talking to you again. All right. I want to go right to it. There's a line. You don't mince words. This is market dynamics are highly favorable. That And ready? Demand has never been stronger. You are telling me that this right now is the best time that Prologis has ever had in business. Why? That's right. I, I think it's a confluence of factors. I think on the demand side, uh, we have e-commerce accelerating, and that has obviously even gotten stronger momentum because of e-commerce. And then we have a structural increase in the level of inventories needed in the economy to build some resilience uh, against things like pandemics and natural disasters and the like. So on top of normal uh, consumption growth, you have these two structural factors that are going to be with us uh, for a long time. And at the same time, it is getting increasingly difficult to bring on supply of new product, new real estate, warehouses in in the big markets where people um, uh, are consuming. Everybody wants their packages the same day or the next day, but they don't want their warehouses in their neighborhoods. So tight supply, very strong demand, um, driven by some long-term factors, and, and vacancy rates are the lowest that they've ever been, and rental growth has been the highest it's ever been. And it's a global phenomenon. So what are you going to do? You, you can borrow at 1.1%. Uh, you're obviously the best at what you do. You have a billion square, one, one billion square feet. But are you out of land to build? Are you, do you have no more space to put things up? No, because we've been uh, over the years always um, looking for land opportunities in these markets. They have long gestation periods. But we control enough land, uh, much of it owned, some of it controlled via, via options and the like, uh, to build an additional almost 200 million square feet, which is another $26 billion uh, worth of product. So, um, uh, so we're in really good shape on a relative basis, uh, but the rest of the industry uh, doesn't control anywhere near that kind of land for growth. And there are a lot of people who feel that e-commerce was something involved with uh, with Omicron, with with COVID. You're in a position to really know e-commerce and you've got everybody. I mean, it's not like you're dominated by one. Uh, if anything, do you see it accelerating? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, the uh, the COVID situation introduced a whole range of new customers, uh, older generation to e-commerce and we got used to getting a lot more variety of goods uh, through the e-commerce channel, whether it's more groceries and all that. So the percentage of uh, retail that's accounts for accounted for by e-commerce has gone from the low to mid-teens uh, to the low 20s. And that number is going to keep growing because, you know, uh, if you look at the kids that were born when the iPhone came up uh, who are in their mid-20s now, they don't even know what a store is. So... Um, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be going up. I, I don't know what the limit is, but I can tell you that it's going to be a problem for probably not the next CEO, but maybe the CEO after that. So it's going to be a while. But you did mention that the cost of labor. Well, you said it's been bad for 10 years, but it's not getting better at all. Right. No, it's not just the cost. It's uh, it's just the sheer unavailability of labor. And that's forcing our customers that are using our buildings to invest in technology. And, of course, the big ones can afford to do it. 
Uh, but the small and medium-sized businesses, which is the core of the distribution business, they're really having a hard time coming up with the capital necessary to make these investments. So that's a business opportunity. That's a new line of business for us that in addition to what we call Prologis Essentials, which is our other line of products and services to support our customers, can be a huge business opportunity for us. Well, I, I mean, one last question. From your vantage point, supply chain's still tough, right? It's just not getting better the crisis. Yeah, they've just moved the boats offshore so you, so you can uh, show them on a visual and put them on 60 Jeez. Minutes or something. Well, look, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to ever say that uh, things aren't good in the country because I think they are, but Prologis is the way to play it if you want to know both e-commerce and income, which I think a lot of our investors want. Hamid, I've got to thank you. That's Hamid Mogadam. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of Prologis. And boy, i got to tell you, from the bottom, in 2009... You have been the best there is. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Stay with Kramer. Coming up, there's big energy in banking. Kramer runs down the big bank earnings most important to you. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Earnings season is now in a powerful full swing. And like we do at the beginning of every reporting period, it's time to catch up with the first major group to release its quarterly results. And that's the biggest banks. They are important. Normally do this because the banks give us a great read on the broader economy. But now we need to take a more bullish approach because this moment is perfect for the mainstream banks. Okay, it may not be good for a lot of these high-flying pre-revenue companies or even entertainment companies, but for mainstream banks, Nirvana. These stocks actually held up in the vicious last hour selling onslaught because they're making so much money. We always hear about how rapidly rising interest rates are bad news for the stock market. That's true. Not the part of the stock market that's the banks, because they can make more money on the difference between what they pay you for your deposits and what they charge you for loans. That's that net interest margin thing we talk about. They'll keep paying you more or less, the same old crummy rate for your checking or your savings account. Then turn around and take those deposits and and make a fortune with them. 
Even though I think 2022 looks very good for the financials, there's no denying this has been a pretty choppy week for the six majors, some of which the market loved and some of which the market hated. And it's not the usual suspects. Last Friday, for instance, when Citigroup, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo reported, we saw something really strange. My, Wells Fargo, formerly the problem child of the group, actually managed to rally. While Citigroup pulled back, okay, nothing new there. But the once loved J.P. Morgan sold off and sold off hard. There's a reason we own Wells for the charitable trust. After the long weekend, we heard from Goldman Sachs on Tuesday morning, I liked the quarter, but Wall Street disagreed, and I didn't push harder. The stock plunged 7% in a single session. Then yesterday morning, we got results from Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, both of which did better. Their stocks initially rallied substantially, but then the whole market rolled over, and a big chunk of those gains got repealed, as you saw. In short, while this could certainly be a good year for the banks uh, once the Fed starts citing, in the first earnings season of 2022, the group has been all over the place. Let's take them one by one. Let's start with Citi. When CEO Jane Fraser took over the city a little less than a year ago, I guess in retrospect, the bank may have been a bit of a mess. She set out to streamline the business, get back in the regulators' good graces. Unfortunately, still too early to tell. Work in progress. When Citi reported the headline numbers were better than expected, but Wall Street was not impressed. Why? Citi's expenses. They were too high, up 18% year over year, even though its revenues were only up 1%. Well, that's a bad mismatch. The best thing you can say about this one is that the stock's cheap. It's trading at roughly 80% of its tangible book value, which is what the bank will be worth if it you liquidate the whole business tomorrow, though, of course, we don't do that. This is crazy cheap on book, but that's nothing new. I also like that they're finally rationalizing the worldwide network rather than losing money in a gazillion different countries. Even then, though, Citi can't, can't capitalize on that cheapness. Why? Because they had to pause their buyback in December because of regulatory issues. Now, Frazier says the repurchase will resume this quarter. Uh, maybe then the stock can turn around. I, I, do you mind if I wait? Next up, the biggest shocker of the bank earnings season, J.P. Morgan, long considered the best of the big banks. This time, though, Wall Street was, uh, let's say, very disappointed. Even though the headline numbers were fine, their expenses were up 11% year over year, far outpacing the 1% sales growth. Worse, CFO Jeremy Barnum had some cautious commentary on the conference call, talking about how they're looking at a couple of years of sub-target returns. Why? J.P. Morgan stepping up its investments in the business in order to to reassert their dominance against some of the, uh, say, some of the other banks also, but the smaller financial tech players uh, that have been running circles around most of the majors. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear it because, uh, you know, this is a company that's really cut expenses, but maybe they cut too much. CEO Jamie Dimon sounded like he wants to bury all the fintechs when the grass is moving to the cloud. Better late than never. But it's going to cost them an arm and a leg. You know, it's always my favorite. Not anymore. Instead, the magnitude of these investments took people by surprise, which is why J.P. Morgan stock got annihilated in response. In just four days, the market capitalization now shrunk by $60 billion. I think it actually deserved to go down some, but not this much. We're only talking about $6 billion increase in expenses next year. After this decline, J.P. Morgan trades at just 13 times earnings, though it's the most expensive the group won its book value. You know what? I can do better, but it's come down. What is better? How about Wells Fargo? It's like the old days. Yeah, we like it so much we went for the charitable trust, as you know if you join the CNBC Investing Club. Wells has been the best performing bank for a while now because CEO Charlie Sharp, whom I like personally because he's done a fantastic job, has executed masterfully on the turnaround. This time, Wells Fargo delivered a big top and bottom line beat with 13% revenue growth. Woo! Not interest expenses were actually down versus the previous quarter and double digits versus the previous year. Most important, Wells is very sensitive to interest rates, so when you see bond yields surging, think Wells Fargo. 
This is something that we batted around just this very morning on the Charitable Trust Research Director, Jeff Marks, on my new program, The Morning Meeting, that's placed every day at 1020. This is for investing club members only. And we spent a lot of time in the morning meeting going over things like why Wells did better. And we concentrate on the stocks that we own for the trust, but we do them all. Today, by the way, we said, listen, we want to buy some semis too soon. Phew. Thank heavens. All right, next up, Goldman Sachs. Even though their sales were better than expected, the earnings came in substantially weaker than expected for a whole bunch of reasons. But they were still huge, and I love that. Yet the stock got slammed because people think they can, can't do it again. They can't repeat. They think last year's as good as it gets. As I told you over and over again, the Bears say this every time, and they're always wrong. Goldman's one of the best franchises on earth, but it sells less than nine times earnings, for heaven's sake. So you say, well, why don't we own it for the charitable trust? Well, as we said in our morning meeting, because Morgan Stanley exists, and I'm a big believer in diversification. Don't need to have two investment banks in your portfolio. Now, under the leadership of CEO James Gorman, this company has totally reinvented itself, going from a kind of a boom-bust operation before him uh, to a much more consistent enterprise focused on Asset management, this is looking less and less like a bank and more and more like a service company. On Wednesday, Morgan Stanley delivered a nice top and bottom line beat with a 6.8% revenue growth that outstripped the increase in expenses. We want that at a time when everyone's worried about costs. These guys have excellent expense control. Meanwhile, the investment banking business is on fire and wealth management's doing great too, especially on the asset management side. Oh, and they're aggressively buying back stock. What's not to like? Finally, also on Wednesday, Quizzical Bank of America reported, I liked it, solid numbers. Revenue's basically in line, but the earnings came in higher than expected, though much of that came from big reserve release still. There were no negative surprises. Sales were up 10%, while expenses were only up 6%. They're very good, right? Exactly what the street needed. Better than the other guys, Bank of America is talking about holding expenses flat, unlike J.P. Morgan. That's very, very important when we try to figure out what's going to drive the situation. And you can see what it happens when they... Look at how much money they're making on this much revenue. It doesn't matter. The street was traumatized by J.P. Morgan expenses, not Bank of America. Bank of America is talking about holding expenses flat. Now, again, what this matters, just so you know, is they're a very digitized bank. These guys, not as digitized. That's what we're talking. Like Wells Fargo, Bank of America is highly sensitive to interest rates, which means it's in a great position for 2022. If the Fed raises rates four times, they're going to make $6.5 billion more than the Fed does nothing. And it's risk-free to them. The only reason we don't own Bank of America is for the trust is, again, as we talk about in our morning meetings, we like Wells Fargo. Bottom line, the banks are all over the place this starting season, which just goes to show you the importance of individual stock picking. All banks are not created equal. And we get these big sell-offs like today where everyone just says, woe is me. Take a look at how well this business is performing. Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, Jim. Thank you for all the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Um, what I wanted to ask is, when do you think would be a good time to buy Visa? You know, people seem to be itching to go out and spend, and, you know, some will be here before right. we know it. That's a great question. Now, we own MasterCard and uh, for the Chapel Trust, and Jeff Marks and I were saying that that's actually cheaper, better, and faster than Visa. So I don't want a Visa good company. But if you want commerce and you want uh, cross-border commerce, the best way to do it is with MasterCard. They are masterful. It will do really well when Omicron recedes. Susan in California. Susan. Hey, Jim, long-time listener. I uh, just want to talk about Upstart, which is something you were recommending quite highly a few months back. Right. Uh, multiple times, and then it suddenly went like a number of stocks shot to hell. Mm-hmm. What is your outlook for this stock? Well, I- as I said in our November conference call, 
what I said very specifically, and thank you for the call, but we said very specifically that we are done with the high flyers. Now we want to own companies that make a lot of money and do great things with tangible products. Now, Upstart is a profitable company, but it sells at a very high price earnings multiple of more than 100. Uh, I think it will be fine, but it's not what's going to work right now. We're looking for the companies that make things product profitably. Wilmer, Missouri. Wilmer. Yes, hello. Hi. Wilmer, it's all yours. What's up? Well, I was curious what you had to to tell me of what you think about FSKKR Capital. Well, that's a very, you know, I've been looking because there's it's a lot of stuff that's just kind of kicking around right now. Um, And, you know, this is new, Uh, new to me. I, I have to do this. I have not liked business development companies because I don't know what kind of loans they have. This is not Starwood, which I have a better handle on because Barry Stern look is transparent. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how they get that 11% yield, but I don't think I want to take the risk. I never reach for yield. Wow. Surgical procedure. Wow. All banks are not created equal. Individual stock picking is the name of the game. Now, much more mad money, yet, including my super first horizon, one of the banks that I expect to do well over the next year. Fresh off the morning's top and bottom line beat, getting rid of the regional bank with a CEO. And today, the French parliament declared the Chinese oppression of the weaker Muslim people a crime against humanity. So how could this news impact your portfolio? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When interest rates are on the rise, the Wall Street playbook says you need to own the banks. We've now heard from all the majors this earnings season. We're starting to get results from the smaller regionals. This morning, First Horizon reported this is a Tennessee-based regional bank that's seen the stock run from $15 a month ago to $17 and change today. Hey, maybe it came in a little too hot because while the quarter was good, it still ended up selling off a bit. But, but well, you know, I, I think today was a counter-trend day where first the wrong stocks went up and then they went down and everything sold off. I think First Horizon is a winner if you believe the Fed when they promised to hit us with a series of rate hikes this year. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Brian Jordan. He's the president and CEO of First Horizon Corp. Get a better read on the quarter. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Brian... I think there are a lot of people who don't understand the way banks work. Uh, They want to sell off everything. But if the Fed raises rates from these levels uh, and it does it with a without alacrity, but just does it in a good schedule, it's entirely possible that you you will make a lot more money on your deposit base, particularly because you've been trying to find ways to cut the cost of your deposit base. Yep, absolutely. We expect that interest rates going up are going to be very good for our business. About 65% of our loan portfolio reprices uh, on a 30-day on a or thereabouts basis, and, and our deposit base and it's strong, and we think there's an awful lot of margin expansion we can get from the Fed raising rates. In fact, I think it's going to offset uh, some of the negatives of PPP going away, et cetera. So I'm optimistic about 2022 and 2023. At the same time, if the Fed were to raise interest rates slowly at quarter point, say, four times this year, how would, much would it impact your, your uh, loan demand? On an, on, a, on an annual basis, I don't think it's going to have much impact at all on interest rates. If you sort of back up to pre-pandemic early 2020 
loan demand was very, very solid, and interest rates were, you know, 150, 175 basis points going into the pandemic. So we had a strong economy. I think we're going to have good loan demand, even in the face of rates going up in the near term. Now, you have some focusing points, delivering on enhanced share of value, which I like because you're always very clear about what you want. And you're talking about a complete systems integration. And at one point in your conference call, you're talking about doing these dry runs. Now, is this something I have to worry about? I did not know how tough it's going to be if before I read about the dry run conversion. Yeah, it's funny. On your show a couple years ago, I said the integration part would be relatively easy, and I've not lived that down internally since. (laughs) It does take a lot of work. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of testing. And and the idea is, is to minimize the adverse impact on our customer base. And so we put a lot of effort into testing, retesting, mock conversions, uh, just basically running it over and over on, on our side. And then we're spending a lot of time right now with customer outreach. We're reaching out to customers to make sure that they can log into micro websites, but essentially testing out their ability to log into our treasury management system, our online banking system, things of that nature. So we're doing a lot on the front end to make sure that there's very little to, or, to, to worry about when we get to the actual conversion President's Day weekend. All right. Now, you've got a uh, what I now think is a burgeoning uh, energy portfolio because of the merger you recently did. Uh, I am keep I keep hearing that the oil companies aren't spending like they could because they want to return money to the shareholders. Are you seeing any pickup with oil at 86 bucks? People asking for more money to drill. We're not seeing a whole lot of pickup in new money. There's not a lot of capital going into drilling right now. That's that's partly a, a probably a function of supply and demand in the regulatory environment. Uh, Most energy borrowers have been deleveraging to an extent, and so I expect that if oil prices continue upward trend that we've seen on the the last several weeks and months, that you'll see more money go into drilling, but it's not a significant turn yet. Wow. All right, now about e-commerce. You're kind of where, in many ways, you're in the hub of e-commerce in our country. Are you seeing continual build-out just because, say, FedEx? Yeah, we're, we're continuing to see build-out, particularly on the transportation side. The, the FedEx hub here is, is being rebuilt or expanded. We're seeing uh, warehousing in this part of the world expand. Uh, to hit the distribution network that that FedEx has really created here, and so I'm I'm optimistic that that continued growth in e-commerce will continue. And I think, in many ways, whether it's banking or whether it's e-commerce more broadly, the pandemic accelerated shop from home, shop online, and I think that's good for uh, the the folks in our part of the world that are doing a tremendous amount of distribution. All right, one last question. You know, our stock market's been pretty terrible since the year began. It, it, it really isn't infiltrated into the real economy at all, has it? No, the, the real economy has continued to, to be strong. There's, uh, I see less impact from the Omicron variant than I do just the, the shortage of supplies, supply chain bottlenecks, and labor constraints. But at this point, it still feels to, to me that we've got a strong economy, that the economy will continue to improve throughout 2022, and that it, we can see some extraordinarily strong growth. I think the Fed is on top of inflation and, and, and being proactive in that regard. 
clearly some of the, the stimulus money that occurred or, or fed into the economy last year is unlikely to repeat in the near term. So some of this will be self-correcting, and I think we can be in a place where the economy will continue to grow and we can create a soft landing. Well, as is so often in the years I've had you on, uh, that's my view, too. And I think that you've always been one of the most level-headed people we speak to. You're certainly not someone who's just saying, look, the house is burning down. I want to thank Brian Jordan, President of First Horizon, for his rational view of what's going on in our economy. Thank you, Brian. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. We would like to dedicate tonight's Lightning Round to our friends at Fast Money. Melissa, congratulations to you and the entire Fast Money family on 15 amazing years, both in front of the camera and those brilliant producers behind the scenes. You are the best in the business. You raise the bar every day. We at Mad Money are proud to call you our friends. Fast Money, you can be our lead in any day. And now it is time. It is time for the and then the light rounds are, are you ready? Steve, back to the light round question. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Hey, Jim, I wanted to ask you about Nextera Energy. Nextera is the fastest growing utility. I think it's terrific, and I would actually do be a buyer here tomorrow morning. Let's go to Hank in Colorado. Hank. Hello, Jim. How are you? I am doing well, Hank. How about you? Good, good, good. Hey, my question is about Spiro Therapeutics, and I'm just wondering, they just recently had a, a new drug application submitted, got a fast-track status, priority review. Right, but yeah, is that this is the height of speculation. It doesn't make any money at all. You literally are hoping that another drug company will buy that company. That's what must happen. Yvonne in Hawaii. Yvonne. Yes, hi. Aloha, Mr. Kramer. Yes. How can I help? Um, I was um, wondering what your recommendation is for Moderna. I okay, Moderna, Moderna, actually, if we're really near the end of the uh, uh, of COVID, then Moderna needs to continue to go down a little more. And Pfizer represents a better buy. Mike in Connecticut. Mike. Jim, thanks so, so much for taking my call. Of course. So recently, um, I found some information about this stock that uh, had a um, IPO in September. And at that time, it was said it was having very good sales, very good growth, and um, it was managed well to previous right. eight years before its IPO. And then recently, I found out that in 2020, it had lost its top in $36 million. And I know okay. its lockup period ends in March. Should I be concerned about symbol O-N-O-N? I think there are too many shoe companies. I thought that was one of them. I didn't like Allbirds. I didn't like on on I just don't like these kinds of companies. They are too expensive, and they don't make any money. I mean, come on, we got to make money here. Let's go to John in Florida. John. Thank you for taking my call, Jim. Of course. Of course. Several months ago, you had Sanofi on. I thought they gave a pretty good presentation. They have a low beta, low volatility. 
and I was wondering what your thoughts are. I think that's right. We had Hudson on a bunch of times. I feel the same way. 3.7% yield is fine. Is it, gonna, is it a house on fire? Great kind of stock? No, it's good. It's good. Glasso, by the way, they should have run the register. I like that stock now. I can't. Norman in Massachusetts. Norman. Hi, Jim. I'm a longtime fan and first-time caller. The company I'm calling about is the global leader in welding products and technology. It has had great performance for decades, but doesn't seem to get the attention it deserves. It's Lincoln Electric. Yeah, that's a really good company. Lincoln Electric is a very, very good company. That's a kind of, hey, there we go. Company that makes things, builds things, sells them for a profit. Yes! Hallelujah! How about Sam in Massachusetts, please? Sam. Yo. Yo. Go ahead, Hi, Sam. Uh, is this Jim? Yes, Kramer, what's up? Oh, I'm just starting to watch the beginning of your show. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm sorry. Well, I'm hey, everywhere. Man. I'm everywhere you, you want to be. Are, I'm kind of like you have a visa or something. Go ahead. You guys are setting the bar for all subscription services. I, I, it's it's outrageous. So I wanted to ask you about AMN Healthcare Services, Jim. Uh, Susan Salk is terrific. The stock's come down a lot. Sells at only 13 times earnings. I say you have to nibble right here. Okay, right here. I like it. All right, let's. We're not done. We're not done. It's a wild day. People need more information. Let's go to Russell in Tennessee. Russell. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I am uh, so happy you took my call today because it is my 29th birthday. I'm thrilled to be oh, on man, the show. Oh man, happy birthday! What? This is the best Thank way you. to spend your birthday. Right here, right now. Feb 10. I'm going to do the same thing. What's up? That's right. I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite companies. Uh, they've really taken a beating lately, down 65% year over year. But they recently partnered with a drug maker, and I'm wondering if now is a good entry point. I'm talking about 23andMe, ticker it's ME. It's a SPAC. I mean, I tell you, you know, I, look, I think 23andMe, I think GlaxoSmithKline should go buy them. But, you know, if they don't buy them, it will go lower still. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there's no avoiding the pandemic's many market effects. But Kramer explains why every home gamer should also be a news hound at heart. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. You can't afford to ignore the front page of the newspaper in favor of the business section. That's something I always preached back when I ran my own hedge fund. Because far too often, the big sell-offs, often like the one we had in the last hour, were caused by something that broke on page one of the New York Times, not something in section D of the same paper. Classic example today. The French Parliament declared the Chinese oppression of the Uyghur Muslim people a crime against humanity. You don't level a charge of genocide against the largest country on earth, one that's the largest importer of French goods, unless you're willing to pick a fight. Personally, I reject investing in a country that's committing ongoing crimes against humanity. The same way I protested Harvard's tacit support for apartheid South Africa by refusing to invest stocks of companies that did business there when I graduated. We need to keep the Uyghur issue front and center, not just because it's an atrocity, but because of the worldwide escalation in rhetoric against China. 
When former President Trump took a bellicose stance on trade, not many other countries were willing to cooperate. But human rights, that's a horse of a different color. Because this is mad money, we have to ask what it means for the stock market. First off, my charitable trust has a big position in Boeing. Now, I've been hopeful that China will come through with big orders as an olive branch gesture, in part because they desperately actually need the planes. But it's hard to imagine that happening if things are getting more contentious. Second, the Taiwan issue. I don't think that China is crazy enough to invade, probably, but they could disrupt Taiwanese shipping to put pressure on them. That's a problem because our economy is way too reliant on Taiwan's semiconductor. We need to see a rapid diversification away from Taiwan with more homegrown chips, perhaps with the help of the Commerce Department's semiconductor initiative. Third, we have to keep in mind that China itself may be on thinner ice, with their central bank cutting interest rates to prop up the ailing real estate market. They're not in great shape there. Of course, it's not just China. There's also Russia, which increasingly seems like it wants to actually invade Ukraine. This is a tricky situation. Vladimir Putin wants to make Ukraine a Russian client state, or maybe carve off a chunk of it like he did with Crimea several years ago. Ideally, he wants to claim that native Russians need his help, or that Ukraine provokes some sort of military response, which they probably haven't, at some sort of border place that we don't know about. The question is, will the U.S. and our allies have a united front against Russia if they try to pull something? We know that the German government won't even commit to holding construction of a new Russian natural gas pipeline. Forget serious sanctions uh, or military action. Germany gets a ton of its energy from Russia, so they're in an economic hostage situation. Now, unlike with China, our country doesn't have a ton of commerce with Russia, so the impact would be hard to figure out. But I have to believe that rising tensions will be an ongoing issue. I don't think our government would go to war unilaterally to save Ukraine. But if the rest of NATO is on board, well, that would be a different story. Meanwhile, if our government ever decides to take state-sponsored cybersecurity seriously, it would need the help of our best cybersecurity companies. So always keep one eye on Palo Alto Networks. If that spikes, maybe something's going on. Sometimes these existential issues grip the entire market, as was the case in the last hour of today's trading, when we were all trying to figure out if there were rumors of war. Not war, just rumors of it. And yes, I'm not forgetting to follow the course of COVID at all times. You want to know what could happen. Think the Thanksgiving. Giving Day massacre last year because of Omicron. But you also want to know if the pandemic is truly peaking. That's a worldwide problem. So look to the New York Times homepage, not the business section, to get the real answers. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.